Welcome to Dialogues in Afro-Latinidad, a podcast dedicated to amplifying and elevating Afro-Latin American and Afro-Latinx histories, cultures, and communities. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Reed Vasquez. Join us for conversations with experts and artists to learn more about Afro-Latinidad. Venga. I'm excited to welcome today's guest, Dr. Paul Joseph Lopez-Oro. Dr. Lopez-Oro is an assistant professor in the Department of Africana Studies at Smith College and the 2021-22 Miriam Jimenez Roman Fellow at the Latinx Project at New York University. His research and teaching interests are on Black Latin American and U.S. Black Latinx social movements, Black feminist and LGBTQ activism and political mobilizations, and Black queer feminist ethnographies in the Americas. His current manuscript, entitled Indigenous Blackness in the Americas, The Queer Politics of Self-Making Garifuna, New York, is a transdisciplinary ethnography on how gender and sexuality shapes the ways in which transgenerational Garifuna, New Yorkers of Central American descent negotiate, perform, and articulate their multiple subjectivities as Black, Indigenous, and Central American Caribbeans. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be part of this conversation. Thank you for having me, Professor Reed Vasquez. It's my pleasure. So uh, you grew up in Brooklyn to Garifuna parents from Honduras, and now you're a professor of Africana Studies at Smith College. Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit about your early, how your early life shaped your, uh, your ongoing professional interests in the field of African, Afro-Latin American, Afro-Latinx studies. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, I always talk about my dad, Jose Alfonso Lopez Aguilar Jr. as my first Black Studies professor. Mm. Um, he's someone who um, had a deep understanding of his Black Indigenous history, had a deep respect for that history, and always wanted to learn more, right? Um, and not just about Garifuna history, but wanted to learn more about the African diaspora in Latin America and the Caribbean, wanted to learn more about the Black diaspora here in Brooklyn and in New York City. Um, but home was really the place where a lot of these questions that I'm, I'm still grappling with in the manuscript um, really begin, right? I grew up with two key images in my living room. I grew up with an image of uh, Joseph Chatouillet, who is this Garifuna military kind of war leader who is memorialized in Garifuna spaces as this kind of key figure of Garifuna Maronage, right? Mm -hmm. um, who, who fought against the British and won. Um, and, and this idea of Garifuna freedom or Garifuna fugitivity really stems from this image of Chatouillet and an image of Marcus Garvey. Um, mm -hmm. So I had these two images right smack in the middle of, of my living room. And, and these images really spoke about hemispheric Blackness in a way that really transcends national borders, that transcend colonial linguistic registers. And my dad really always encouraged all of us to really understand that Blackness was something that transcended the nation state, right? That it simply wasn't enough to, to kind of think, well, Black people speak English here, Black people speak Spanish there, Black people speak French here and Creole here, Patois. So he was always kind of uh, pushing this idea. And I think he was very much influenced by Pan-Africanism, but 
deeply also influenced by what was happening in the diaspora. Um, so home was a place where all of these questions were constantly present. Um, and he made sure, you know, that I knew about the Schomburg, but not just the, the Schomburg Center, but knew about Arturo Alfonso Schomburg and what mm -hmm. Arturo Alfonso Schomburg was, particularly because, um, fun fact, Arturo Alfonso Schomburg is from, uh, passes away in, in my hometown neighborhood of Bushwick, right? So Bushwick and Bedford-Stuyvesant are two Brooklyn neighborhoods that are, um, right next to each other. Um, and Arturo Alfonso Schomburg spent a lot of time in Brooklyn. Um, so I always kind of think about the diaspora in, in terms of geographies and locations, and that's always a fun one. Yeah, I love that, that you're, it's, it's permeating you in the personal and the household sphere, and then in the neighborhood. And it, it's just, it's really beautiful to see all those connections coming together. Uh, and yeah. I wonder, and I'm wondering too, so you have this, you know, you're coming, coming from that background and then is it something in college, a course that you take, something in your travels in the neighborhood mm -hmm. that kind of sparks your professional interests and continuing to, yeah. to more, um, uh, more, more directly, more specifically, uh, more broadly even? Yeah, no, I, you know, one thing that I, I'm constantly thinking about this is like, how did I, end up here, right? Like, how did this happen to this point? And I think I was always really interested in how particularly like Latin American history courses would disavow race, right? Mm -hmm. Like how Latin American history courses, I remember taking an undergrad, this, you know, Latin American history course on women and gender and sexuality, but there was just no discussion on blackness. There was no discussion on indigeneity. And if it was, it was kind of hidden behind the 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 racial discourse of mestizaje. So I was just kind of like, well, this is interesting because mestizaje is this racial project that creates this myth of racial democracy, but Black and Indigenous peoples in Latin America and the Caribbean continue to be politically disenfranchised. Why are we not, you know, questioning that? Why are we not engaging that? in a Latin American studies course, in a Latin American history course. And I unfortunately did not have access to Black, his, uh, black studies courses in undergrad. Um, I didn't have access to Black studies until I went to the University of New Mexico for my master's in Latin American studies. And I deeply realized, huh, Latin American studies isn't necessarily the field where my questions around blackness, diaspora, indigeneity, and queerness are going to be answered. Um, it was a field at that time in the early 2000s that were really still having to grapple with these questions, right? And I think we've come a long way, but it's it's still um, a work in progress. Absolutely, absolutely. And along those lines, I know that you're passionate about obviously the African diaspora and especially interviewing people, seeing people in their personal spaces, as well as can another realm in the archives and then the multiple multiple forms of those archives come in. And then, of course, bringing that to life for your students. So can you talk a little bit about the ways that your experience is doing ethnography, getting into those spaces and then also how you incorporate the archives into your work? Absolutely. Um, so when I you know, when I bring students into that space, I go through the visual, I bring video clips, I bring uh, excerpts of oral histories, transcripts, but I also literally bring physical documentation that people have laminated, people that have shared, right? Um, and this is where I like, I turn back to my dad, because he was very much in 
untitled archivist right so he would always yeah so he he was the one who kind of sparked because like you know fun fact my undergraduate degrees in history right and and my dad was very much an untitled historian and he was very much committed to collecting um and this is why a part of my manuscript um i'm talking about this kind of arturo alfonso schomburg impulse like the the collecting the documenting the archiving um uh, but the disse disseminating right of of black cultural knowledge of black life of black history and i bring that into the space with music Right, I'm I'm starting the seminar um, next week actually, um, at Smith where I'm teaching black. You know, I've got this course titled "Black Latin Americas: Movements, Politics, and Cultures." Emphasis on the Americas, right? Mm -hmm. Wanting to to wanting to also bring Black Latin America to the U.S., but also understand that the <laughs> Black Latin America has been in the U.S. for a number of centuries. Right. Um, but it's this moment where I introduce students to the diasporic spaces of Black Latin America, right? And I do that through, you know, I mentioned music, I mentioned documentaries, but there's something about oral histories and images and photography that really helps me to articulate the importance of diaspora to students, right? In a way that, you know, there's this, you know, the Afro-Latino reader history and culture in the United States by Miriam Jimenez Román and Juan Flores, kind of this biblical proportion text, right? That really, mm -hmm. you know, is trailblazing, right? It breaks ground. It really disrupts, um, it really disrupts articulations of Blackness in the U.S., but it also really disrupts articulations of Blackness in the hemisphere, right? And I think, those conversations can't be possible without the visual, right? Those conversations can't be possible with the fact that, you know, Van Vanessa Valdez produces this beautiful, powerful book on Schomburg. Yes. And one of the things about the text is that she engages photography as, a, as an archive of visual analysis, right? Like literally seeing these absolutely stunning, never before seen images of Schomburg really allow us as scholars, as thinkers, as readers to really walk with Schomburg, right? In in all of the multiple spaces, in the US South, in New York City, in Puerto Rico, right? To, to really think about the, the multiplicity of space, the multiplicity uh, of the Black experience. So I, I try to bring that into the classroom at all times. And I know that students, you know, are, are at the end of it, right? Are kind of like, this is a lot, but thank you so much because I didn't know about this, right? And it is a lot, right? Because I think even prepping for this course, prepping for the seminar, I'm like, gosh, there's so much, <laughs> there's so much context here, right? right. There's so much um, having to contextualize, you know, colonial geographies of Latin America and the Caribbean, right? My mm -hmm. specialty is Central America's Caribbean coast, right? How do I explain to, you know, to students that Central America's Caribbean coast, you quite literally can hear, the the multiple different languages that black and indigenous people speak in different colonial registers right because mm -hmm. the british and the spanish were at the same time there um so it's an it's it's trying to always bring the visual for students so they can anchor what they're reading um to what they're seeing no absolutely it's so important and i think for a lot of people especially because they're not thinking that oh there there's a huge african diaspora in latin america 
they really do have to see. They need to see the images of the people and the places and the spaces in order to go, okay, okay. I, I, I understand. I'm starting to understand now. Uh, so this mm-hmm. is really, it's, it is really crucial to have multiple, as you say, multiple registers, multiple types of, of archival sources, yes. voices for for the for, for for you to convey that um, to students and and really and the general public as well. I mean, it's, sometimes it's hard to get people. I mean, I'm you know I'm all about highlighting that, but sometimes I you know I I have to remind people about why that, that why those spaces are important just as important mm-hmm. as the ones in, in in the u.s and then of course there are the transnational kinds of spaces that i know that you also connect with as well uh, and Absolutely. so so i wanted to ask a little bit about uh, so given your work as a scholar and an educator how do you what would you say that how do you how would you say that your work contributes to our understanding of these communities in afro latin american afro latinx communities um, if, if a student came up to you and said, so why is this so important? You know, what kind of answer could you provide for them? You know, that, thank you for that, because I literally just had a conversation with a student this week who was really interested in the course, but then was like, well, what am I really going to gain from this course? And I'm just like, let me give you this, the, the elevator pitch. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> you know, I immediately introduced students to this idea, right? That and, and this is an idea that comes out of the work of, you know, the phenomenal, brilliant George Reed Andrews, you know, another trailblazing text on Afro-Latin America. Definitely. But the archive tells, yes, absolutely. The archive tells us 10 times more, 10 times more, right? Africans went to Latin America and the Caribbean. And this is the moment where I'm like, okay, here's a region in the Americas that if we are looking into the historical record, there were 10 times more enslaved Africans, enslaved and freed Africans, right, mm-hmm. in the region. That, that should really pique everyone's interest. You would <laughs> that think. That should literally pique, you, you're right, you would think, but I'm like, no, I literally, like, I literally do the map. There's this gorgeous map online of the transatlantic slave trade. Mm-hmm. And like, you can literally see the ships moving. Right, and I showed this literally on the first day of class. And like, I asked students, what are you seeing? Where, where are these ships moving? Where are these black mm-hmm. dots moving to? Mm-hmm. What, what that really invites us to think about is that it actually really invites us to think about hemispheric blackness that doesn't exceptionalize nationalism. It really invites us to really think about a blackness that doesn't have to be bounded to US exceptionalism that doesn't have to be bounded to the myth of racial democracy, right? I mean, what does it mean to be Afro-Colombiano, Colombiana, right? Mm -hmm. What is this project of nationalism that Black people remain bounded to in the 21st century? Mm -hmm. So I pose to students like, I want, and, and one of the things about this too, and like, I'm literally like just prepping for my first day of seminar is like, when we think about Latin America, why don't Black people come to mind immediately? a region that had 10 times more than the US. And the number is drastic, right? Right. That why isn't black people the first thing that we think about, right? Why do we immediately think about the Sofia Vergara of Latin America, right? Why do we immediately think about the JLOs, right? Why do we immediately think about these other, um, you know, these other non-black 
but brown, right? Mm -hmm. These other non-black folks um, who who aren't the majority of the region, right? Because one of the things about this history is like black people and indigenous people remain the majority in the region. Right. So it's like this idea of like, I mean, and this is how mestizaje is such a pervasive and an intoxicating narrative. Right. Because it will have people think, well, everyone's brown in Latin America. Right. Everyone has a little bit of African. Everyone has a little bit of indigenous. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, part of that myth making is a project of white supremacy. Right. It's a project of blancamiento that isn't only state sanctioned, but socially sanctioned. Right, so it's one of these moments where I really try to help students to think through these questions. And, I, and one thing that I really push in the seminar is that I want them to see the relationship between Jim Crow and Mestizaje, right? That even though you have this national project of todos somos iguales, todos somos un poco africano, un poco indígena, un poco español, right? Creates this idea of like, well, no, <laughs> that can still function as a Jim Crow practice, right? And Jim Crow doesn't have to say it's Jim Crow if the practices are there, right? And we don't have to turn to the U.S. to be like, well, this is where Jim Crow is happening. This is the only place where Jim Crow is happening, right? Um, this is another way that Jim Crow is happening, right? And it's called this. It's called, queremos una persona fina, queremos una persona you know, educada, right? Exactly. Una, right. So all of these kind of, you know, key terms that are asking for European centric phenotypical, you know, desires around people. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's one of my, one of my pitches. I'm like, why aren't people more interested? But then I also think about like the work of Keisha Khan Perry, mm -hmm. who in a recent talk was like, yes, Latin America and the Caribbean has more black people than the United States, but black folks in the United States are the loudest in the hemisphere. Mm. So why, right? Mm -hmm. What is it about African-Americans within the geopolitical borders of the US that makes them more politically and socially loud? And this is where we go into questions around imperialism, right? Go into questions around nationalism and what, what did the project of nationalism look like in the 19th century and the 20th century. So yeah, I try to sell the course this way, but I'm also kind of like, no, everyone should be rolling up their sleeves and like realizing that the majority of folks in Latin America and the Caribbean are black and indigenous and they're, there's they're fighting for their communities they're fighting for their lands they're fighting to exist right mm -hmm. in these spaces and we should know we, we should know and want to know and care and you know again there's been there's so many common issues that connect these african african diaspora populations across the hemisphere and we just yes. need to be yes. much more aware and connected with them 100% 100% absolutely and in thinking about that, I mean, what would you say from the work that you do, from your experiences at, professionally and personally, what would you say are some of the most urgent issues for Afro-Latin American and Afro-Latinx communities today, especially as they relate to, the, relate to the kind of work that you do? Yeah, that makes me, yeah, that's a great question. That makes me think about the work of Miriam Jimenez Román immediately, because I think one of the things that I'm, I'm hoping my work is going to contribute is this idea of Black Latinx communities here in the U.S., right? Like, I think, I think we've moved on in terms of at least scholarship. Like, yep, we know there are a ton of Black folks in Latin America and the Caribbean. They're there. Um, and I'm like, yeah, they're there, but they've also been 
forging diasporas, right? To borrow from Frank Garetti, like they've been in the U.S., right? They've been in the U.S. and not not just in the 1900s, right? They've been in the U.S. Right. before the 1900s, right? Like my, you know, my Garifuna our grandfather from Dangriga, Belize, comes to Harlem in 1962. My dad, who's born in Honduras, comes to the Bronx in the 70s, right? So it's like Black communities from Latin America have been in the U.S. And I think that's one of my kind of really big pushes in the manuscript is to really think about Garifuna New Yorkers as not these kind of recent arrivals, but rather these communities that have have been here, right? And have been part um, of making diaspora here, right? And I think what I'm always constantly intrigued about what is that? What is at stake politically for Garifuna folks in New York City to still be Garifuna? Yes. Yeah, so, thinking about uh, many of these issues, what what would you say are some of the most urgent issues for Afro Latin American and Afro Latinx communities today, especially as they relate to you and the kind of work that you do? Yes. Um, so this question makes me immediately think about the groundbreaking work of Miriam Jimenez Román, who's, who's base, basically her entire scholarly career was really dedicated to focusing on the histories and the politics and cultures of Black Latinx communities in the U.S. And one of the reasons I want to emphasize the U.S. because there's something incredibly important about thinking about Black Latin American communities, not simply existing and living in Latin America and the Caribbean, but deeply knowing there's there, there has been centuries long of hemispheric migrations, right? Mm -hmm. of, of, of hemispheric political movements, right? That have engaged multiple Black Latin American communities here and there. Um, and, and, and the there being Latin America and the Caribbean and here in the US. So I, one of the big things that I'm pushing in my manuscript. So essentially a lot of the scholarship produced on grief in the communities are in Central America, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of the robust ethnographies, historiographies, they're rooted in, in Central America's Caribbean coast. One reality about hemispheric migrations is that there are more Garifunas in the United States than there are on Central America's Caribbean coast. And that's not necessarily new, and that's actually deeply disrupted by U.S. imperialism, right? So the United Fruit Company becomes this vehicle um, for what I call in my work, right, the, the great migration south of the U.S. South. Right, it becomes this great migration for Black Central Americans and Black Central Americans, not strictly meaning Garifuna, but Creole, West Indians, right? Particularly West Indian Central Americans uh, to to migrate right to the U.S. And I think that history um, remains really untold, right? Um, I think about the phenomenal work of Glenn Chambers' new work on Black Central Americans and and New Orleans, right? I, it, we need more work mm -hmm. on. Black Latin, Black Latin American and Black Latinx communities here. And I'm really excited about the idea of thinking through uh, the public performances of Garifunanes, right? Within a lens of queering, right? What would it mean to think about the queerness of being Garifuna in the 21st century, right? What does it mean for some for someone in the US, in New York City, who is interpolated, who's racialized as African-American, but the moment they open their mouths or the moment they invoke their last name, there's a disruption, 
right? There's a right. disruption to the racialization they've been experiencing. There's a disruption to what else is there about your blackness that isn't normative, right? And I think mm-hmm. there's something that I I turn to the I turn to public performances of ancestral memory. I turn to public performances of garifunanes to really think about well, how are garifuna folks really negotiating their Caribbeanness, their mm-hmm. Central Americanness? And they're mm-hmm. black indigeneity, right? In spaces, right, that can't fully articulate their existence. And, yes. and this is where I think the work of like performance theory or the work of like Omi Shake and Natasha Tinsley, Jafari Allen really opens up a space to really think about well, what are folks really doing, right? And what is the queerness of this, right? How is this, how is this not only because one of my one of my things is that I'm building on the work of Tinsley, Omishek and Natasha Tinsley, to think about queerness as a practice of resistance, but also a practice of resistance to normative structures of violence, but also to think about the silencing around queer folks, right? And these spaces mm-hmm. that they queer queer Garifuna folks are at the forefront of these hemispheric cultural preservation movements, right? Um, some of the most important Garifuna dance companies, Garifuna language academies, Garifuna cultural expressions are, are curated by queer folks, are curated by, uh, you know, the first Garifuna dance company in the city of New York is curated by a Garifuna lesbian woman who migrates to New York because of both anti-Blackness and homophobia. Um, and those histories, those those narratives, those those lies aren't aren't really documented in Garifuna scholarship, and aren't really um, as as prevalent in an Afro Latinx studies as well. Well, I'm so glad that you're taking embracing that, taking that on. I mean, these are these are incredibly important stories, important areas of resistance, important ways of maintaining, yes, preserving, perpetuating culture. Yes, yes, absolutely. Thank you. Well, I could talk to you all day, but we have, I have to, we have, we do have to wrap it up at some point, but so I'm going to ask okay. you, uh, my, my kind of typical final question is that uh, about uh, other resources. So in addition to your forthcoming book, soon, very mm-hmm. soon, I hope, um, well, I and, hope and, your, and your articles, <laughs> which I have to say, I do use your work in my class and I just love it. It always blows their mind. They're like, Central America. I'm like, yes, everywhere. Yes. Right. Everywhere. <laughs> Literally everywhere. every corner of the Americas, there are Black folks. Yeah. They are still living and breathing, right? And they're like, you know, preserving their lives and their ancestral memory. So, yes. <laughs> yes. So, and you, and you mentioned a few names here, but I was wondering if you could, you could mention some other additional specific resources um, that you recommend to people who, who want to learn more about um, Gurdifana communities or kind of even broader Afro Latin American or Afro Latinx communities. So if, it, if it's oh, films absolutely. or digital projects or whatever you'd like to share, we would love to have that. And we'll and include this in our on our research resource page for this episode. Oh my God, absolutely. I mean, I think a bunch of folks come into my mind immediately, um, but I definitely want to think about the work of Jomara Figueroa Vasquez, who's really helping us to decolonize diaspora, right? To help mm-hmm. us even think about what is the Afro-Latinx diaspora look like on the continent um, of, of Africa. Um, she's also mm-hmm. helping us to really think about the Caribbean um, in really multiple ways that at times, the, especially the, the Hispanophone Caribbean can feel very limiting, but she's really helping us to map a different understanding of the Hispanophone Caribbean beyond the islands in a way that, 
um, really helps us articulate hemispheric blackness and in, in, in the project around global blackness. Um, but I'm like, the list goes on, like Loria Garcia Peña, Omari Zamora, right? Like all of these folks are asking these key questions around blackness and Latinidad um, and aren't compartmentalizing, right? Because I think that's, that's the important part too, right? Because I think the political and intellectual impulse of Afro-Latin America and Afro-Latinx studies is to really also disrupt this pervasive idea of Latinidad, right? And what, what does Latinidad look like in the US, right? And what, what, what exactly is this racial project that we call Latinx or Latino or Latino, right? To think about um, questions of race, right? And I think, you know, again, I talk a lot about Miriam Jimenez Román um, as a dear friend and as a dear mentor, but she really helped us to think about, you know, uh, about race in critical ways in U.S. Latinx communities that I think there's still so much work to be done, right? And there's still so much work to disrupt around queerness, right? To really bring queer Black Latinx folks into the fold, right? I, I feel like that's still an area of research that needs further development, particularly when we think about how Spanish-speaking Black folks continue to be there's a tendency, especially in queer studies, to not really have a space for Spanish-speaking Black folks, and even in Black queer studies. So I'm, there's there's more work to be done. So I'm happy to also share some much more references and, and things for the podcast. But yes, definitely, there's so much work to be done, but there's also so fun, many phenomenal work already out there. Well, thank you. And I certainly we include your work in that long list. And I, and I certainly welcome any additional um, resources that you have. We could, I'd happily put those on the on your podcast resource. Page. Sounds good. Will do. Thank you so much, uh, Pablo. Thank it's you. been a pleasure. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you so much, Professor Reed Vasquez. Have a good one. You too. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Dialogues and Afro-Latinidad, please subscribe to our podcast and tell a friend. For links to the resources mentioned in the interview, visit our website at michellereedvasquez.com forward slash podcast.